without food? According to Google, I mean, it's amazing. You can ask anything of Google and it'll come up with an answer. 21 days. Any idea how long you can live without water? It is said seven days. A doctor challenges that, and he says usually four. Now, what he was doing is probably basing it on a person who is terminally ill, and when their body shuts down, virtually they don't take water, and in four days, they have gone into eternity. Food and water. Benjamin Franklin, when he was a publisher of the newspaper in Boston, was supposed to run an article that was slanderous. And he didn't want to run it. So he prayed and prayed. And he thought, if I, run the, if I don't run this article, I am going to lose all these advertisers, these people that advertise for the paper. So that night, for his dinner, he took some bread and water. That's all he had. Next morning, he got up. He had bread and water. That's all he had. And he concluded that he could live on bread and water for a while, even though all these people would withdraw the funding from his newspaper. Sad to say, people today want to draw back from taking the most wonderful food that God has ever made, his son Jesus. You know, in order to live, we need nourishment. And Jesus is a nourishment like none other. All right, let me give you a setting. And I did it with the children this morning. I cannot imagine being in that group of 5,000 men plus the women and the children and Jesus taking this, these five tortillas and that's virtually what they were and these two fish. He prays and then he tells the disciples, all right, come up and start giving these to the people. Can you imagine sitting in the front row, and there's Jesus there, and he gives the disciples, and you think, okay, that's all. No, wait a minute, he's got more. He's got more. 15,000 possibly. And then he tells his disciples, all right, now gather up all the food, uh, all the food that hasn't been eaten, and they get 12 baskets. Now, don't start thinking of a um, wash basket. These are smaller baskets, most likely. But still, there's 12. And the people are saying, wow! Hey, this is, this is a guy we don't want to get away on. We don't want him to get away. We'll make him our leader. 
Jesus will have nothing to do with it. He goes down to the shore, Sea of Galilee. There's a ship down there. He gets his disciples on the ship and he sends them away. Ten miles across the lake to Capernaum. Jesus doesn't go in the ship. And the people see this, but it's getting dark, so they go back to their homes. Next morning, they're all, okay, let's find him. And he's nowhere to be seen. But some ships have come in from Tiberias, and they jump on these ships. Now, more than likely, it's figured that probably what they did is rented these boats. They go across to the other side. They find Jesus. And as they find him, they say, uh, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, you can't really see a lot of the emotion or the thoughts that are behind their question until you really go into the rest of the text. <laughs> Did you notice how Jesus answers that? He says, you're looking for food that spoils. Look for the food that lasts through eternity. Uh, Lord, we just asked how you got here. What's with the questions? Have you ever noticed when Jesus goes into a, a discourse that he so often takes the question that they've had and the mindset, maybe even let's call it the motive that they have, and he changes it. So that, oh, we're running. And Jesus is saying, no, you're going to run this way. This is where I need you to be thinking. Because over here, it's not going to do any good. Now, Jesus had gone over there. Uh, Mark, if you go into the Gospel of Mark, says the disciples were crossing the lake. Jesus walked on the water stepped into the boat immediately on the other side. So now they have heard, oh, we're after the wrong food. Jesus says, this is the food that the Son of Man will give you. Now, we take that, oh, that's Jesus. That was a slam against them. You see, they had seen the miracle. And when they asked, how did you, or when did you get here? They were saying, um, we didn't see you get into a ship. And if you walked around, it's 10 miles across. You couldn't have gotten here. Dazzle us. Show us how you got here. You did another miracle. Hey, keep on doing these miracles. And now Jesus says, you're after the food that I gave you. But you should be seeking the food that I, having come from above, will give to you. Okay. Son of man. I don't want... Son of man, I want rabbi, God. You see, they recognized him as a teacher, which is what the meaning of the word is, but they didn't want to accept him as a teacher. 
They wanted to accept him as a magician. They wanted their eyes to be open wide and their mouths drop open because he had done this dazzling thing again. And then he says, the one who came from heaven will give you this food. This rubs them wrong. That's when they say, now wait a minute. From heaven? We know your dad and mom. Mary and Joseph. <laughs> what's, what's this about heaven? You came from heaven? Come on. And you know what they failed to do? They failed to really realize the stories about Jesus' birth. They failed to, to accept Jesus as that Savior who, was, who had taught them the day before. But as they had gotten into the things of this world, oh, they had forgotten everything that had happened before, what Jesus had said, and now they were just content with, fill us up with food, as Jesus said, that spoils. Isn't that the way our world is today? Isn't our world after food that spoils? Do you see, Jesus, when he's saying this, he's not talking about only food that we eat. He's talking about everything in our everyday lives and how it pushes God to the side. And what becomes more important? Oh, the things of this world. And you know what's sad about that? We as Christians will sometimes fall into that same trap. We think we're not on good graces with God if bad things are happening in our lives. Have you said or perhaps thought know what I've done. Probably what you've done is focused on your sickness, your lack of wealth, your troubles, the things of this world. And Jesus says, don't go after that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Go after a nourishment like none other. Go after Jesus. Now, after Jesus has said, food that won't spoil, there were some who believed. There were some who believed, and he said, hey, make sure we get this. And that was good. But there were still others that didn't. Because Jesus adds on to that, I am the bread of life. I don't know, but you can almost feel that they were going through this, 
You've got to be kidding. What does he want us to do? Eat his flesh? You see, that's what he said. I am the bread of life, and unless you eat, my bread is my flesh. Unless you eat it, you will not believe. You will not be saved. But you see, those words right in there centered in the exact meaning of eating the bread. And again, later on, he says, and drinking his blood. That has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. It would take the whole text out of context. Jesus himself says, that the Jews ask, okay, what must we do in order to receive the graces of God? And he says, the work of God is that you believe and are saved. And when it says the work of God, it's not saying, oh, this is what God wants you to do. It's, this is God's work. God's work is that he creates faith in you and that you believe and are saved. They weren't willing to have that. They weren't willing to accept that because it went against everything that they had set up as their system of worship. There are 610 or 611 different commands that they had to do. Walk in the door, wash your feet, make sure you do all these things that they had to do. That this would come from God? No. You're the bread of life? Now comes prove it. Not, not only do they say prove it, you can almost see their minds how they're working. Bread? Ah, Old Testament, bread, manna. Tell you what you do, Lord, or Rabbi. You, our forefathers, ate manna in the desert. It was given to them by Moses. For 40 years they lived on that. Do the same for us. You almost made it out of nothing. Keep on doing this. We will believe in you. And it's so interesting how the Lord takes the words and the thoughts of their wrong direction and turns it correctly. He says, yeah, they ate in the desert, but guess what? It wasn't from Moses. It was from above, from God. And think of that. I was among you, and I did it. That is the sign. A sign you couldn't even see. What you did is you looked at the miracle, not at the performer. You looked at the gift and not the giver. It's sad to say that's a lot what people want to do today. person that receives miraculous healing, a person that is somehow blessed beyond reason, oh, they're so happy with the gift. But the joy should be in the giver. You know, you can even go into this with your own eternal salvation. 
If I were to ask you, are you going to heaven? I would hope you would say yes. My next question would be, why? And I think the answer that so often screams out is, because I believe. Wrong. Think about it. I believe in Jesus. Our focus has to be on that person who won the eternal salvation. I believe, then you start coming around to, and I made my choice. Our text, our text doesn't even give that an opportunity to take its ugly head up and say, I have done something. He says, the Father will draw people to me. And I will give them eternal life. That word draw is kind of unique. It's the word that is used as the fishermen would draw their nets. And Jesus says, unless the Father draws them to me, they can't come. Can you see where that is? How great God's love was for you. He chose you. You did not choose him. He drew you into that word of God. And that's why he goes on and he says, and it's as the prophets. God will talk to you. You know, you come to church and you hear some preacher standing up here. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Okay. Let us say there was a baptism this morning. And he walks over and he splashes a little head, a little water on the head. And he says, this now a child of God. This morning you'll take the Lord's Supper. A wafer and wine. And you will hear that This true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forgives you your sins. Really? You know what that's called on your part? Faith. Faith in what God has promised, faith in what Jesus has done, and faith in what the Holy Spirit works in your hearts. And that's the Father drawing you in. You learn that from the Word of God. God speaking through his prophets. I am the bread of life. Dear Christians, there is no substitute. I mean, our world is filled with, if you think of the Lord's Prayer, One petition talks about something for our earthly life. Give us this day our daily bread. But how often don't we make it the six and then God comes to one? That the only day we dedicate to our Lord is this Sunday worship time which started a little late. 
but this Sunday worship. And then we go home, and then our life is now filled with the spoils, the food that spoils. No, Christians. You have fed on the word of God this morning. And it lasts through eternity. God, Jesus promises, I will bring you into everlasting life. Every one of us should be jumping up on our, uh, uh, in the air and clicking our heels and saying, right, oh, this is great. And that's what I tried to get you to see this morning when I said to you, your sins are forgiven. It's not just something out there. It's here. You have been fed with that nourishment of Jesus. You have been given the bread of life and the water which will never let us go thirsty. It's nourishment like none other. Amen. And may, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.